Thank you for watching this message from The Bridge Church. Our vision here is to be a church that is for Christ, for community, and for the city. Today's message is from the sermon series, The King's Cause. It's a walk through the Gospel of Mark. And if this message has impacted you in any way, please email us at stories at thebridgeilm.com. Good morning, church. How are you? Good morning, church. How are you? Awesome. Yeah. What's up, family? How y'all doing? Um, all right. Uh, I, first, I want to address something uh, before we get started that was on your seats when you came in. It's a card that looks like this. You can show it to me. It's, uh, it says trellis on the front. Trellis is how you connect and grow at the Bridge Church, okay? If you've been around the Bridge for, for any period of time, if this is your first week or your 16th week, it doesn't matter, we don't want the Bridge Church to be uh, an event that you attend on the weekend. We want it to be a body that you belong to. And trellis is how we take you and transition you from event to body, okay? So um, we're actually having trellis this coming Saturday and Sunday. It's the January 28th and 29th. Uh, on Saturday night, we'll have you come here. We'll have dinner at 6 o'clock with all of our staff. We'll be able to tell you a little bit more about who we are at the Bridge Church and what we feel like God's called us to do in the city. Then we'll have you come back on Sunday morning, and Sunday morning will help you in a very uh, specific and practical way get connected to the Bridge Church, whether it be through community group or through serving, um, giving, whatever it is that you want to do in terms of your next step of making this your home, making this the, the body that you are part of. So what I need you to do is if you want to come, if you're certain that you're going to be able to be here this Saturday and Sunday, I want you to fill out this card. It's an RSVP card, and at the end of the morning, we're going to, when we collect our offerings, I want you to just drop that in the bucket. Now, let me tell you what happens when you drop this in the bucket. We buy food for you, okay? We get childcare for you. That's what we do when you put this in here. So if you're not completely sure, don't worry. Go home, check what you need to check. You can actually RSVP online later this week. There's a, a trellis icon on our front, our homepage, or as well, you can use the short link forward slash trellis. So thebridgeilm.com forward slash trellis, all right? So do that. Go ahead and fill it out. Have it ready for the end. I'll just think you're taking notes on something that I said, all right? Hopefully, I'll see you this coming weekend. I'm going to try something a little fun this morning. You all right? You ready? Good job, good job, good job, good job. Now here's the real test. Will you stay with me? Don't speed up. You ready? All right, good, good, good. You give yourself a round of applause. That was fun. And I just proved something, okay? Everybody has rhythm. All of you, okay? All of you have rhythm. Just some people, it's more fun to watch their rhythm, right? <laughs> like we might not want to watch your rhythm, but everybody's fine with watching Bruno Mars's rhythm, right? When he's singing Uptown Funk, everybody is fine with watching that. Rhythms are a way of life. Rhythms are a way of life. Let me, let me give you another one. Everybody take two fingers. You can either put it on your wrist right here, on the, on the thumb side, or put it right here on your neck, kind of inside of your throat. Don't check yourself. What do you feel? Doom, 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 doom. Your heartbeat is even a rhythm. See, there are rhythms in life that actually bring life. There are rhythms in life that bring growth. There are rhythms in life that we need for life to continue the way that it is, right? There are, there's beauty in rhythms. For all the mathematicians in the room, uh, the Fibonacci sequence, it's beautiful, right? 
It's all throughout nature. You can see this sequence of math. One plus one is two. Two plus three is five. And it kind of goes around. It creates this spiral. And you see this Fibonacci sequence. You see this beauty all throughout nature. Rhythms provide beauty. They provide life. But what happens if a rhythm gets broken? Sometimes it, it, it messes things up, right? Like the, the water cycle. Another rhythm that gives us all of our life. Here's what happens, all right? The, the rain comes down. That's precipitation. Then there's infiltration. You probably forgot about that one from fourth grade. That's when it goes into the ground. It goes into the streams. It goes into the, the lakes and the oceans. Then what happens next? Evaporation. You remembered that one. And then condensation. It goes back into the clouds. And then the precipitation, and it falls back down. What if the cycle gets broken and water's not coming? Growth stops. Life could even stop. See, rhythms are necessary, but when rhythms get broken, we have to start the rhythm back again in order to get to a growth place, in order for life to continue to be sustained. I think what we're seeing here today in this passage is Jesus helping show us, leading us to introducing a new rhythm to our life, a rhythm in our life that actually brings us new life and brings us growth. We're going to be in Mark 4. We're going to start in verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35 is the passage that we've already read. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give you one. We have one in the lobby for you. And in the meantime, our tech team is going to be putting the verses on the screen so that you can read along with me. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. All right, so this is the story where Jesus calms the storm. But before we kind of get to that point, let's give a little bit of a context here. So Jesus had been teaching and healing. His, his life of ministry um, was ongoing and continuing to go, and at this point, he had made his way onto a boat, and he was teaching from a boat. And he's teaching from the boat, and then Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. And so, of course, the boats turn and they go off to the other side. They're on the Sea of Galilee. There's something important that you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, and it is right beside a mountain range that is well above sea level. And what ends up happening, if you allow me to be a meteorologist for just a second, is the cold air on top of the mountain slides down onto the warm, humid air right on top of the Sea of Galilee. And what does that bring? Massive, intense, quick-breaking storms. I'm not talking about like storms like, I mean, so it's raining today. Yes, it's storming. I'm talking about the kind of storms that we'll get in the summer, right? Where the storm comes and it's just taking things out. The storm comes and everybody's phone in the room starts going beep, 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 because they're like telling you that there's a tornado. Or maybe you're watching, you're watching your afternoon soap opera and like they break in so they can tell you about the circulation and some raindrops or something like that. That's the kind of storm that we're talking about. Kristen, my wife, actually encountered one of these storms back when we lived in Raleigh before we moved to Wilmington. There was a tornado that was down on the ground and was actually coming across, and it kind of like, it lifted up for just a moment, and then it came back down about a half a mile away from our house. She said it was sunny outside. This storm comes on really quickly. She was at home because it was the weekend, and she was doing some things around the house, and she said it got dark, like nighttime dark. Middle of the day, but it's nighttime dark. That's the kind of storm that they would have experienced on the Sea of Galilee. That's the kind of storm that the disciples were in at this point. And so if you can imagine with me for just a minute what that would have been like. You're in a boat, and a storm is coming. The wind is coming sideways. 
The wind's knocking the boat from side to side. The waves are crashing into the boat, it says, so that water is getting into the boat. That's not a good thing. But it's so dark that you can't even tell where the other disciples are. Where's everybody else that's helping me? You're trying to get water out of the boat. You're doing everything that you can to save yourself. But it's so dark, you don't know when the next wave is going to hit. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen for your life. You think this might be the end. That's where the disciples are in this story. The, the interesting thing that we, that we see here and how we take this story and, and internalize it is that often our lives feel that way, right? Yeah, of course, we've all lived through a storm or a hurricane, a tornado warning, whatever it might be. But I mean like your, your inner life, something that's going on um, in your family or your finances or your health. Whether you're in the storm right now or you think the storm is coming this week, you feel the storm coming, they're coming. Maybe for you it's been a financial storm or you, you lose your job, or the IRS comes calling, or all at the same time, you need new tires and new brake pads and new windshield wiper fluid, everything at the same time. And so it seems like the waves just keep coming and coming and coming, and it feels dark and you're scared. Maybe it's your family. Maybe your parents called you and told you that they're not getting along and they're going to separate. Um, maybe your sister called you and told you that she lost the baby. Maybe your sons are all married and have their own lives, but they all have a problem with alcohol that just tends to ruin their families. Family storms are some of the hardest storms. What if it's your health? Some of you might have either this week or last week or last year heard from the doctor that um, the cancer, they don't really know what to do with it. Or maybe it was your mom's cancer. Or maybe right in front of you, your, your daughter, um, her eyes start to twitch. Her, um, she starts to maybe not see things as well. She maybe starts to not hear things as well. She can't use her arms. She's falling. She's hurting herself. She can't play the way that she used to. She can't hear you the way that she used to. And the doctors just tell you that they're not really sure what to do just, just yet. They're trying some things, but they're not really sure. See, these storms are scary. That's my storm. They're dark. And sometimes you just, you, you don't know what to do. But the thing about life is these storms are just coming and we can't stop them. These storms are coming because we live in a broken world. We live in a, a world that is not the way that it was intended to be. And so these storms just keep coming. Some of them, some of us, maybe they feel worse than others. Some of you maybe feel like the storms in your life aren't that bad, but it doesn't matter. They're going to continue to come. And here's the truth. You can't control. You can't control the damage that the storm does. You can't control the difficulty that the storm is to live through. You can't control the duration of the storm. You can't control anything, any of these things about the storm because the storms are just going to keep coming. So what do we do? Where, where are we left? I think where this leaves us is it leaves us in a place of realizing how much in our lives we are depending on ourselves in order to weather these storms. I think, it come, I think this brings us to a place where we realize that our faith, when we think that maybe our faith is in God, that we realize that maybe our faith is in ourselves. We are working and we are trying to do everything to make the storm go away, and the storm will not let up. That's the experience that we have 
And that, and that shows us our lack of faith in God and our, our, rather our faith being in ourselves. Now, I know many of you are thinking like, come on, come on, give us a break, okay? Give us a little bit of, you know, what, what if I'm following Jesus? If I'm following Jesus, then that means that things are going to get better, right? And unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case. I'll say it this way. Following Jesus doesn't mean the absence of storms. Following Jesus doesn't mean the absence of storms. You know how I can tell that from this passage right here? Whose idea was it to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Jesus. <laughs> he said to them, Jesus, let us go across to the other side. What that means is quite literally, the disciples were following Jesus, and that led them into a storm that they thought might kill them. And what that means is that you might be with all of your heart, be trying to follow Jesus. You might be exactly where God wants you to be, right inside his will for you in your life, and it still might lead you to experience a life-threatening storm. Do you know why that is? Because the storms are now a part of the rhythms of this broken world. The storms just keep coming. But what we need and what God is going to provide is in the darkest time, in the worst of times, when the waves continue to come, God is going to provide a way to turn your fear of the storm into something much greater. And that's faith in him. That's the rhythm that he is trying to start back in us. So what is it that we have to do in order to get back into the rhythm that is going to bring life? Let's look and see what the disciples did. Verse 38. But he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many of y'all have ever felt that way in your life? The darkness, the clouds, the storms. You reach your end, and then you think, oh, Jesus. Let me go find Jesus. And then you... You go to Jesus and you cry out to him. And you say, Jesus, what is going on? Jesus, why am I always fighting with my spouse? Can't you help? Jesus, why did my mom have to get sick this year? Can't you please help? Jesus, what is going on? God, where are you? Are you asleep on me? Do you guys feel this? See, sometimes I feel like we have a culture that limits that and says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't cry out to God in that way. But I think that in order to get back into this healthy rhythm, crying out to God is exactly what we have to do. See, in the last three months, or rather three years, I guess, God has really been teaching me this. He has been teaching me that crying out to him is exactly where we need to be. You see it all in the Psalms. Just pick a Psalm, pick it, read, and then the psalmist, the person who is writing, it often, in a very raw way, is saying, Oh God, why have you left me in prison? Why am I here in this darkest place? Why am I here with all of these people with their foot on my neck? Can you please help me? Can you please relieve me? And sometimes God relieves directly, and then sometimes God doesn't relieve directly, but crying out to God is okay. This is why that's true. Because when you cry out to the storm, it doesn't matter, because the storm doesn't care about you. When you cry out to the cancer and you say, cancer, can you please stop? The cancer's not going to stop because the cancer's actually here for your ruin. When you say, when you cry out to your boss because your boss laid you off, it's not really going to help that much. They've already made the decision. 
When you cry out to the doctor who is already trying to do everything to save you, to give you the right treatment, to help your parent, to help you yourself, when you cry out to the doctor, the doctor's already doing everything they can do. They don't have any more power. So why cry out to them? We're crying out to the world. World, why are you broken? When what we should be doing is we should be crying out to God. This is why. Because God has the power to change your storms. And God loves you. God has the power to change your storms. And God loves you. This was my experience, y'all. This was my experience. I tried to convince myself that the storm was really not that bad. I tried to, in my own strength, make the storm not that bad. It's okay. I tried to convince Kristen. We're, we, we got this. The treatment's going to help. We're going to be okay. Let's, let's get through this. Like, we're okay. Pull yourself up. You know, it's fine. In our strength, we can do this. And then at a certain point, I got to my end. And when I got to my end, God essentially told me, he's like, just cry out to me. Cry out to me. See, I think what was wrong in my heart, not necessarily consciously, but deep down and subconsciously, and maybe this is true of you as well. What was true in my heart is I was afraid that if I told God how bad it was, that it might limit how good he was. I thought that if I told God, God, everything is falling apart, that it meant that he wasn't holding things together. I thought that if I cried out to God and said, God, I need help and I can't do this on my own, that he would be disappointed in me because of my lack of faith. But I don't think that's what he wants. He wants us to cry out to him. This is the, this is the truth that, that I've, I've come to, and it's so strong in my heart. I want you to, to pick it up as well. Crying out to God doesn't change who God is. Crying out to God gives God the chance to show you who he is. Crying out to God does not change who God is. Crying out to God gives God the chance to show you who he is. So why aren't you crying out to him more often? We can look right here in this story. We can see our God in Christ doing exactly that. Look with me at verse 39, what he does when the disciples wake him up. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Can you picture it? Jesus wakes up, storms going on all around, and Jesus rebukes the sea. It's not like calm and quiet. I don't think he's like, Peace, be still. And the, and, the, and the storm stops. The storm stops, and it says that the, even the waters got glassy, like the type of calm waters that you can see yourself in like it's almost a mirror. That's what happened just like that. Kind of like when a kid's running down a hallway, and their parent says, hey, stop right there, and they stop on a dime. That's what Jesus did to the storm, because Jesus has power over the storm, because Jesus is God. See, what this is teaching us when we see Jesus calm this storm is that Jesus is with us in the storms, and Jesus has power to save us from our storms. Isn't that good news, church? Jesus is with us in the storms, and Jesus has power to save us from our storms. And if these two things are true, then it changes everything about the storm, does it not? If this is true, it changes everything. Let me give you an example, maybe a little bit lighter, so that you can kind of understand and kind of grasp with this, that, that Jesus' presence and his power completely changes the storm. Uh, we have two, my wife and I, Kristen, we have two daughters, um, Kara and Susan. They are um, four and two, and they are adorable. Um, uh, now, it's not quite this way anymore because they're a little bit older, but maybe a couple of months ago, they would go into their room, uh, and they would close the door, even though neither one of them could open the door. It's not a very smart decision, right? So they go into the door, and they're playing, and they're having fun, and everything is all dandy. And then uh, they're both kind of mischievous. So usually what happens is 
Kara tells Susan to do something that she's not supposed to do, and then Susan listens, all right? So they're, they're, they're both at fault here. So Kara would say, hey, turn off the light, and Susan would go over, go over and turn off the light. Now, neither one of them can open the door. The light has now gone off, and there's a two-year-old and a four-year-old in the room. What do you think happens? Ah! Like, they are terrified. Like, they did this to themselves, but they're terrified. And so what Kristen and I have to do is we have to, we have to run down the hallway, we open the door, we turn on the light, and then everything's better, right? Completely different story now. What if I'm in the room with them? If I'm in the room with them, the door is closed. Now, I'm with them, and I have the power to turn the light on. I have the power to open the door, and I'm in the room. And then Kara tells Susan to go turn off the light, and Susan goes and turns off the light, even though I said, no, don't do that. She goes over, and she turns off the light. And this time, since I'm in the room, all of a sudden, ah, turned into wee. There's giggling. Everybody's like trying to tackle daddy, and it's like the best time ever in the dark, right? Have I turned the light back on yet? No. But their experience, even in the middle of the storm, even if I haven't relieved the storm from them yet, is completely different because my presence is there, and I'm the one that has the power to save them. That's the God that we serve. See, when you realize that God's presence and power has the ability to save you, it completely changes the storm because he has the ability to deliver us. See, this is the, the final part of that rhythm where God is taking our fear and changing it to something completely different in a very positive way. There's a switch that happens. Look with me in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid of the storm? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear of Jesus and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This guy must be God. See, when Jesus calms the storm, their fear doesn't just go away. Their fear of the storm is replaced by a new fear. Now they're afraid of Jesus. But this fear of Jesus is a different type of fear altogether. Do you see the switch? The first type of fear is a fear of worry. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm lost. It's dark. I might die in this situation. This storm might end my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's the type of fear that they initially had. They were afraid of the storm. And then at this point, when they see Jesus calm the storm, their fear switches to a fear of Jesus. Now, in the Bible, a fear of God is never a bad thing. They were afraid of the storm, but now they have a fear of God. This is a respectful fear. It is a fear knowing that the creator of the universe is in your presence, that the creator of the universe has reached out to you. That's the type of fear that is a good type of fear. Do you see the switch that Jesus just made in their life? He's reinstoring that rhythm that is actually taking their lack of faith and putting it a faith in him. See, the fear of him leads to a faith of him, which actually leads us to worship and to thank him for who he is. I'll say it this way. Fear becomes faith when you realize the one you fear loves you. Fear becomes faith when you realize the one you fear loves you. There's a really important distinction between the storm and Jesus and the fear, right? The storm doesn't care about you at all, but Jesus loves you. Fear becomes faith when you realize the one you fear loves you, or the one you should fear who actually has the power. He loves you. 
Church, it changes your storm. Uh, I love to play basketball. Um, I went to UNC, and so I used to go play pickup in Woolen Gym uh, all the time. Woolen Gym's a great place um, where I, I would go, and um, court one is the court that all the best players played on. Like, so I would always go try to get there really early and play on court one for one game, and then I'd move to court two. You know, that tells you too much about my skills, but you know, that's what I would try to do. So when you arrive at court one, inevitably every time you'd get there, and there'd be some guy in the corner, he's a six foot eight, 250 pound like block of muscle, right? And he's like draining threes, which is not a good thing, okay? Because the six foot eight, uh, 250 pound rock of muscle can totally take you down low, right? He can, he can dunk on you all day long, but if he can also shoot threes, like we're just going to lose the game. Like I'm terrified because we're, we're about to go down for sure, but... What happens if somebody on their team drops out and then I get traded? Now I'm on his team. Now I'm on his team and that's good news, right? So my heart just went from, oh no, we're about to lose, to we got this. (laughs) Or rather, he got this, right? (laughs) Do you see the switch? See? Fear becomes faith when you realize the one you fear loves you. My fear of losing became a faith that we were going to win when I realized the one that I was going to fear was on my team. Fear becomes faith when you realize the one you fear loves you. And here's what I mean by rhythm. This is not something that God just teaches us one time, is it? This is something that we have to learn over and over and over again. And as these storms continue to come in our life, We continue, hopefully, to be in this rhythm that God has given us that takes our fear of the storm and transfers it to a fear of God, which is actually a renewed faith in Him. From a fear of the storm to a fear of God. From faith in myself to a faith in God. Let me show you where I saw this week that this is um, most certainly a rhythm and not a one-time thing that happens in our life. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 107. Psalms is uh, in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 107, and when you get there, I want you to go straight to verse 23, but we'll have um, the verses on the screen as well if uh, you're not quite there yet. Read with me, verse 23, Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. This is like a retelling, or rather a pre-telling of the story that we just read. Verse 24, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Verse 26, they mounted up to the heaven. Beautiful words to say that their boat went high on the waves. They went down to the depths. There they are in the bottom of the waves. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were where? At their wit's end. And when they got to their wit's end, what did they do? Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And what did he do? And he delivered them from their distress. Praise God. And he made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. Isn't that cool? The exact same story, but written much, much earlier than when Jesus lived it with the disciples. 
God must be telling this story again, over and over. So you actually can see that more clearly when you back up and you look at the psalm as a whole. If you look at the psalm as a whole, verses 1 through 3 are kind of an introduction to the psalm. And then what we have is we have four movements, where this is the fourth movement, the storm, four movements where God is telling the same story. Verses 4 through 9 is about those that are lost and wondering and them being found. Verses 10 through 16 are about prisoners being released, their shackles are taken away. Verses 17 through 22 is about the sick being healed, and 23 through 32 is about being saved from the storm. That's what we just read. You can see this pattern most clearly when you note that there's actually a couple of verses that are repeated in each one of the four movements. Verse 6, 13, 19, and 28 are all exactly the same. I'll read it for you from verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It's the same in every movement. And then... Verse 8, 15, 21, and 31 are all the same verse as well. I'll read verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Man, it's a rhythm. It's a story that God is trying to get us back into so that he shows us who he is. Church, this is about how our storms are going to go, but it is much more about the God that we serve. So it's storm, cry out, he provides salvation, and then shout. Storms, cry out, salvation, and shout. I see that you saw the emojis. It's a a story that God is continuing to tell. Storm, cry out, salvation, and shout. The shout is our faith now being in God leads us to worship him, and as you see in the psalm, to be thankful for his steadfast love. Storms cry out, salvation, and shout. This happens over and over and over again. Here's the thing. Being a Christian does not mean the absence of storms. But I do think that growth in the life of a Christian is a decrease in the duration of time between when the storm hits and when you go down into the boat to find Jesus. It's a decrease in the period of time between when your spouse and you are arguing and you go down and you find Jesus. It's a decrease in the period of time between when you are giving the diagnosis and you try to fix yourself and you go and you find Jesus. That is the lifeblood of a Christian, is to cry out to God and say, help me, please, help me. See, one of the things that I love about the fact that this is a rhythm is that it means it's okay to be in the storm. It means that it's okay if right now it's so dark in your life that you almost can't see me or hear me. It means it's okay if the wind and the waves are filling your boat with water. But what Scripture encourages us to do, both in the Psalms and in Mark and all throughout, is that when the storm hits, cry out to God. That's what we should be doing to get back into this rhythm. But then I know that a lot of you are thinking... Like, that's great, you know, good rhythm, all right? What happens when my storm is not calmed the way the disciples' storm is calmed? What happens when the cancer doesn't get stopped and it actually leads to the end? See, I think what we have to do in this situation is we have to live in our circumstances not based on what God is doing for you right now, but we live in faith of God based on what he has already done. That is God's story, 
That is God's story here in Psalm 107. The introduction I was just talking about, let's read it together. Verses 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Church, does it say let those who will be redeemed in this circumstance say so? No. Does it say let the one who is going to be redeemed in the next circumstance and in the next storm say so? No. It says redeemed. The ones whom he has redeemed. It's as past tense as past tense can get. See, this is the call for God's people in the Old Testament. Was to remember. That's why they sang this psalm. Was to remember who God was. To remember that their God was a God that if they cried out, and when they had cried out in the past, had already delivered them. The call is not to have faith in God based on your current circumstances. That's not faith at all. Faith is believing that God has delivered in the past and that he will deliver again in the future because that's the kind of God he is. Faith is believing that his steadfast love never changes, even though your circumstances do. And that's what God has been calling his people in the Old Testament and the New to do. So if your storm is not calmed when you cry out to God, the strength and the faith to endure the storm comes from remembering the past storms that God has delivered you from. Here's what the disciples should have remembered. The disciples should have remembered the God of Psalm 107. I'm certain they had sung that psalm before. I'm certain they had heard that story before, even the story from 23 to 32 about the storm being calmed. But what they weren't confident of in that moment was that that God who had delivered them before would deliver them again and that that God was in the boat and his name was Jesus. That's what they had forgotten. Now, church, what do we have that is much better than Psalm 107? We have Jesus' life. We have God incarnate. God personified, living in front of us, the stories about his actual life in Christ, the stories about how when he did calm the storm for the disciples. And even more so, we have his life, we have his death, we have his resurrection to prove to us as well that he has delivered us ultimately and forever. You can actually see that ultimate and forever um, deliverance, most beautiful, when you look at the, at the comparison between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament who was called to take a message from God to a group of people. Jesus was a man who was called to take a message from God to a group of people. Now, the stories are a little bit different because Jonah is actually running away from the call of God. He's running away. He goes and gets into a boat that's going to the wrong city. Okay, Jesus is in the boat, and he's going exactly where God wants him to go, inevitably leading him to the cross, right? He's following him directly. But the other similarities in the story are striking. They both go, and they get in a boat. They both go, and they're in the bottom of the boat. When they're in the bottom of the boat, they fall asleep. And then the sailors and the disciples, the people who are on the top of the boat, they enter into a storm that they think is going to take their life. And they try everything that they can to save themselves. They try everything that they can in order to get through the storm. And they get to their wits end, like it says in the Psalms. They get to their wits end, and what do they do? They go down to the bottom of the boat, and they ask the person in the bottom of the boat, is there anything that you can do to help us? Please help us. And this is where the stories are a little bit different again. Jesus says, peace be still, and the storm is immediately calmed. Jonah's story is a little bit different. Jonah says that God is bringing this storm against me, 
as a punishment for not listening to him. And so what you need to do is in order for you to live, I have to die. But wait, isn't that exactly what Jesus said to the disciples as well? In order for you to live, I have to die. In the story of Jonah, they actually take Jonah and they throw him out of the boat into the storm. He's swallowed by a whale. He stays there for three days and then he raises again. He, he comes back out. Wait a second. Same story with Jesus. See, we're in a storm. There's a storm that was coming for us and Jesus is thrown overboard. He takes the storm so that we don't have to. Church, we can have hope because Jesus took the ultimate storm for us. This is what I mean by the ultimate storm. See, we have lived a life that has separated us from our creator God and broken the world as it was meant to be. And that brokenness in the world actually leads to the storms that we feel, storms of all kinds, all the storms that you encounter each day that you encountered last year and that you will encounter in the next couple of years. But these storms don't compare with the ultimate storm that was coming for us. See, the ultimate storm that was coming for us was a separation from God that was going to be dark and fearful forever. It was a separation from God that was going to be eternal, a fear that was never going to stop. A complete separation from him is the storm. It's the ultimate storm that you never even could imagine. But Jesus took that storm for us. On the cross, Jesus was separated from God. He went into ultimate darkness. And then three days later, he rose and he had victory over death. He took the punishment we were owed for the life that we live. Do you see? Jesus took the ultimate storm for us. Now, let me tell you why that's so encouraging to me. For all of us who are in storms. <clears throat> Certainly this was not the last storm that the disciples experienced on the Sea of Galilee. Certainly the storm that you're in right now, or the storm that you just finished last week, is not the last storm that you will experience either. But because Jesus took the ultimate storm for us, that means it doesn't matter the storm that you're in, and it doesn't matter how your storm ends as long as you are with Jesus and crying out to him. Because there is coming a day when Jesus will say, peace be still for the final time. And all of your storms, all of my storms, all of the brokenness in the world that causes these storms will be gone. But here's where, here's where that leaves us. In order for, for God, for this God, for Jesus to deliver you from your storm, from the ultimate storm, what do you have to do? You have to cry out to him. And so I am unfortunately but intimately aware that there are some of you in the room that have never cried out to God and asked him to deliver you from that ultimate storm. And so what that means for you in a, in a very hard reality is that the storm that you experience right now and the fear and the anxiety and being scared and not knowing which way is up and not knowing how to defend yourself and not knowing when the end is coming or if this storm will be the end of you, that storm's not going to stop. That darkness, that fear, that will continue forever. But here's the good news. Church, we serve a God who is a saving God. It was written down 
and shown to us in Psalm 107. Jesus personified, lived it with the disciples in the boat. He showed us that our God is a God who saves. And then ultimately, his life, death, and resurrection ensure that that storm is going away and is not coming for us for all of eternity. And we can be with him and be reunited with the steadfast God that loves us and has delivered us. If you haven't done that, all you have to do is cry out to God and say, God, I'm at my end. I can't survive this storm of life on my own, and I need you to come and take the storm for me. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to cry out to him. Now, for those of you who are Christians in the room, who have already cried out to God, this story is about our storms. It's about us weathering storms. It's about our experience in the storms. But it is actually not completely about our storms. It is much more a story about a steadfast God who loves us and delivers us. It's about a God who always has been and always will be. It's about a God that if you cry out to him, he will deliver you. And so when you as believers, when you read this story, you were reminded of a deliverance that you have already been given. And when we remember that deliverance, when we remember that salvation, that is putting us in the rhythm that brings us to faith. And what that means is that if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, that regardless of the storm that you're in, whether you're in a storm or you're not in the storm, that our song is still the same. And our song sounds the same as Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you know Jesus in the middle of the worst day of your life, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you're a Christian, the day that your mom dies, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you're a Christian on the day that you die, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, these stories are telling us about our God that we serve. And praise be to him for his steadfast love. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song called, What Can I Do? It says, oh, what can I do? I can't live without you. I can't live without you. And some of you, I think, for the first time, will sing that song, or if, if you don't have the energy or the ability to get the the words out of your lungs, you'll think and believe the, that song for the first time, that you can't survive this storm without God. I can't live without you. I can't live without you. And if you're a Christian in the room, the song that we're going to sing is your, is your anthem song. That is the life of a Christian, is to be at your end always, and to very quickly, in the time of a storm, be crying out to God and say, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, I can't live without you. I can't teach without you. I can't make you beautiful without you. God, teach me, craft my heart, train my heart, develop my heart, put my heart back into the rhythm that says I am not in control. Put my heart back into the rhythm so that my faith is not in myself, but my faith is rather in you. God, put my heart back into the rhythm of in the darkest times of my days 
in the darkest times of my years, that I can still say that your steadfast love endures forever. God, all across the room, there's people who are crying out to you. Church, cry out to him. It's okay. Tell him that you're at your end, that you don't know what to do. Oh, God, help these marriages. Help us. We're at our end. We don't know what to do. Oh, God, I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. Help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. God, please come and save. Come and deliver. Both in our circumstances now, but also remind us of the deliverance that is perfect and that is complete in what Christ has done. And it's because of the perfect and complete deliverance that we have been given in Christ that we actually have the ability to call you Abba Father, to reach out to you and say, God, help me. Church, say it. God, help me. Help us. God, let her hear better again. God, let her arms be stronger again. God, give him a job again. God, let them kiss again. Let them love each other again. Let them be sober again. God, I believe you're a God who saves. I believe that you're a God who is continuing to save and deliver. I believe that your steadfast love is never changing and will be forever. God, let us look forward to the day when all storms end and we will continue to say, praise be to God for your steadfast love endures forever. In your son's name, amen.